helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Ethridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. This is a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers. My name is Craig Etheridge, and I'm here with my good friend, Dr. Chris Moody. Uh, Dr. Moody is the uh, lead pastor at First Baptist Church in Beaumont, Texas. He's been leading that church for eight years. He's also the assistant professor of systematic theology at Liberty University and subject matter expert at the Liberty Seminary. And uh, Chris is a disciple maker and has really done a great job transitioning a traditional church to become an intentional disciple-making church. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. We, we always love getting together and, uh, and teasing each other, and you, usually there's some horseplay involved uh, along the way. Uh, but but we, want, we both love disciple-making, and um, I know your life was really dramatically changed by someone that reached out to you and discipled you. Yeah, the ministry that got a hold of me in college was called Campus Campus Crusade for Christ. They call it Crew now, and I was not raised in church, and so church, I didn't have any. I was a blank slate. I didn't have any preconceptions of what church was, and so when I when Campus Crusade won me to Christ, church was I was immediately being discipled to be a discipler. So that that became uh, how I read scripture, how I viewed. Sunday morning worship, you know, you, you come on Sunday morning, you sing songs, you hear a great Bible lesson and, and the power of the spirit and the grace of Christ. You try to apply it throughout the rest of the week. But the rest of the week was given to the heart of, of Christianity, which was making disciple makers. And it wasn't until about four years later that I that I started not just feeling the call of ministry, but actually stepping into pastoral ministry. And it was then that I realized how how rare that was. Um, to to see the Great Commission and its simplicity of of making disciple makers. So that started the path of my life towards being number one a, a discipler uh, of disciples. And so um, that's that's been my scorecard. And the Lord has used me on a number of levels in in church revitalization. I, matter of fact, I even think that's kind of a sloppy word. I I've read all the books and seen all the the videos and and been to numerous seminars on church revitalization. And, and I, I'm just convinced that because we have gotten so far in American Baptist life, we've gotten so far from, from the origin point of, of success that the success of the fifties and sixties. Now we're, we're 40, 50 years from that. Uh, some, some churches 60 years from that. And because they didn't change, I, I don't know personally, Craig, that revitalization is even possible in, in the in the way that we present it, I think it's more what we've done at First Beaumont. It's more reboot and rebrand. Uh, we've just kind of started over and said, okay, everything's on the table, and let's let's walk through in this in this shift here. Let's walk through and 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 look at what are the negotiables and what are the non-negotiables of ministry. And so, you know, at the the place where the American church is at in in this day and age, uh, I think this shift from seeing uh, ministry through the lens of uh, and the leader's mentality and ministry through the lens of being an informer and being a program director. Those, those days are, are over. The church is, is dying on those vines. And we've got to get back to a, 
a, a biblical methodology. So, you know, we hold high the message of Jesus. We need to hold high the methodology of Jesus. It's pretty humbling to think that he spent 90 percent of his time with 12 Jews. Yeah, he reached he reached us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why Why do you think, and I, and I want to get to First Beaumont, I want to get to uh, what has happened there and maybe some learnings from that. But before we do that, just at the 30,000 foot level, why do you feel like so many churches, and maybe you can't talk about every church, but you can certainly talk within the Baptist denomination because you and I are part of that. Why? Why do you feel like so many churches have abandoned the disciple making mandate as, as we understand it and seen in the life of Jesus. Yes. I think that on a number of levels, biblical disciple making has fallen on hard times and become a lost art, you know, to use an old phrase, the lost art of disciple making. Um, I think it's fallen on hard times because of two factors. One, the success of the fifties and sixties, there's nothing like success to make you to get you off the fundamentals you know uh there, there's a movement a, a life cycle in churches you know they they, they go from maternity to becoming a, a, a movement of god they go from a movement of god to becoming if they're successful a monument to that leader that brought them that success and then if they don't watch it it becomes a museum and if they don't watch that then it becomes a morgue right so maternity to morgue and first beaumont had one foot in the morgue and one foot in the museum. Matter of fact, the fourth floor of the building, the third and the fourth floor of our building downtown Beaumont had a museum and it was museum quality displays. And so you just, we have a tendency as Americans to rest on our laurels uh, as humans, not even Americans, but especially in the pragmatism and the success driven capitalism of America, we, we have a tendency to, to baptize those successful methodologies well, when the culture changes, the methodologies, not the message, uh, but the methodologies are, are almost forced to change with that. Um, but the beauty of disciple making is you have an ancient, ancient methodology that that works in all cultures because it is built upon uh, such intimacies as a father son relationship and that kind of mentoring discipling relationship that that is extended from father son, mother, daughter to to big brother, you know, little brother. And so you, you, that, that is an ancient methodology that works in all cultures. And in Americanized Christianity, we've, we've lost that because we, we, we kind of rested in the revivalistic techniques of the 40s, 50s, 60s. We rested in the, the fact that the church was the center of culture in pre-movie theater, pre-restaurant you know restaurant on every corner, pre-mall, pre-internet, all that. All that has shifted to where the culture no longer looks at church campus and church life as the third place. You know, you got home, you got work. That's place one and place two. Well, third place in the 40s and 50s was the church campus. Well, that's just not the case anymore. And so, you know, I, I think that's why we're now finally able to really talk about this ancient methodology is because the church is looking with empty hands and empty pews they're saying, well, what do we have? We don't have the culture doesn't see us as relevant anymore. And, and that and that's true. And so with with that, that's, that's number one, just the successes of the 50s and 60s. I think number two um, relates more to a ministry uh, philosophy that that set in place in the in the turn of the last century. And that is this specialization, professionalization of 
of of modern uh, of the modern businessman. Everything went towards specialization, and so the clergy laity uh, distinction grew even larger in the in the industrial revolution coming into the modern age, and so that fell into the church where now even church people look at the leadership as CEOs and CFOs, and they they say, hey, we hire you as the professional, and so it. It, in the 1950s and 60s, one of the things you saw, because the church started dropping the ball of disciple making and saw it as a, a professional sport, this ministry thing as a professional sport, it, that's when parachurch groups started rising up. You got the Navigators, InterVarsity, Young Life, Campus Crusade, on and on and on. All, all these groups who were primarily disciple making groups, people, they 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 rose because you know the remnant the 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 central part of the church, the body of Christ, is going to find discipling. It's going to find that ministry, and they couldn't find it in the church, so they went and they started looking for it in college ministries and beyond. Uh, now, I think with groups like Flashpoint and you, Craig, and, and other ministries, I, I think we what we see is a return back to making this the central heartbeat of the church, and our church has seen that shift, and it's been a huge success. Um, not in the scorecard of the 1950s and 60s, right? ABCs, attendance, buildings, cash. Not it, it has been a success in those ABCs, but it's the thing we brag on is not how many, you know, rears we sat in seats on Easter Sunday, but how many of those are we going to connect into the disciple making movement? And for us, that's the scorecard, you know. And I would give up. I would give up the preaching of my ministry before I'd ever give up my disciple making ministry. Um, and that, that's a huge statement for me to make, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about Beaumont because like you said, Beaumont was definitely in the museum to morgue, um, <laughs> phase and, and this thing has really turned around. So give us just a little flavor of what that was like to when you came in and kind of where you are today. Sure. Uh, two pastorates, um, before, I made my way into my first lead pastorate were both uh, traditional churches and um, about five years worth of ministry and to- told me everything I didn't want to be about. It was it was pretentious. Everybody was faking it. Uh, both those churches were to a degree demon po- a deacon possessed. <laughs> Got to watch <laughs> out. Those words sound yeah. a little similar. Yeah, they do. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that, that sounds similar. Uh, anyway, they were uh, they, it was it was a rough, a rough baptism into ministry in those early days in the 90s. And so I went, as many did in the late 90s, I went into church planning and planted a church, stayed there about seven years, real healthy, successful, based on discipling over everything else. Everything supported that um, as the as the assignment. Know what that that's the assignment. And we kept saying that over and over again. And so with all the classes through Dallas Seminary, all the experience through the church plant, I the, the church, First Beaumont, came looking for me to basically treat them at some degree like a church plant. My wife says they asked the they, they, they said the dreaded words. They said, please help. And I wasn't looking for a church, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to to really, you know, get in there and get my hands dirty in, in church life. And and so this church uh, came asking and, and were honest about it. And here eight years later, they really did understand that the church was at that so crucial place in their life where they were saying, Hey, we need to change or die. Right. They were, they were saying that and they were asking for help. So they went and I was the youngest pastor they'd ever called as pastor. I was 32. 
I don't think they'd ever called anybody under 45 as pastor before that. And, and so they, they brought in a young church planner type. Um, the church was in the 50s and 60s, classic story. Just like I said earlier, they, were, they had over 2,000 in small groups in the 1950s and 60s. They were on TV from 55, 1955 forward. Just a lot of wins, a lot of success. Uh, two sitting seminary presidents of Southern Baptist Life came out of our faith family, Chuck Kelly, Paige Patterson, both grew up through our faith family, numerous Southern Baptist Convention presidents, missionaries, and they rested in that in 1970s. Uh, God took his hand off the church at some level, not completely. I don't think God ever takes his hand completely off of one of his churches. I think there's always a remnant, and sure enough, from the 70s forward, there was always a remnant of solid believers, And but the church went from 2000 in early 70s to 200 in 2005. And so I came in 2008 after the hurricanes and the church was just ready. Um, the church embraced the change. They had, they had spent time studying what would be required of them. They didn't understand it. We did, we did lose a lot. We lost a lot of people out of that original 200. We might have 50 or 60 of them left eight years later, but our church is, as a worship attendance in, in the 500s, we have um, over 300 people that have been trained in disciple making in the last eight years. And so we have what I would call 300 trainers, spiritual parents who can take a young believer and teach them to be a spiritual trainer themselves. And th those are the numbers that we're excited about, you know, mm -hmm. um, maybe maybe 120 that are on second and third generation discipling. Um, I had uh, a brother in Christ take me to lunch last week and say, hey, man, I'm a, I, I need my sixth group. And I was like, are you serious? Six groups you've had? And he's like, yeah. And so he's reproduced himself six times. And those are the stories we celebrate. You know, that's what we reward and we applaud uh, in our church. And that's what's talked about in, in, in the halls and at dinner and in homes is, is these discipling groups. It's what our staff meetings have become, you know, in a, in a two hour staff meeting, we pray for about 45 minutes and then the, and then for another 45 minutes, it's all about who needs to be discipled, who needs to be discipling and how can we connect these people to those people. And, and so it just transformed that, that culture of disciple making transformed everything. Um, now I, I, I do want to say a few things, Craig, you asked me before we started this recording to kind of highlight some points of transition that are that have become you know pegs to hang your your transition hat your disciple shift hat and one of the things early on that I, I've told people that want to follow in this path um, to become a disciple making movement uh, instead of a programmatic but a, a church a disciple making church um, one of the things we, before you roll up your sleeves and engage you you need to recognize that Jesus's methodology is an exponential methodology. And if you've ever seen exponential charts, they always start out slow. And so when I came in end of 07, we made a ton of changes um, to, you know, really shrinking the footprint of our church, trying to say no to all the dead programs, trying to take the programs that were healthy and kind of infuse some disciple making DNA in that. And that but it, at first, all I did as a lead pastor is have two discipling groups. I took the men in our faith family who were most likely going to reproduce themselves and then people in many ways who I would feel 
even six weeks later could reproduce themselves now. And man, if, if I could, if I could clone these guys, you know, they, they would already be to a degree pretty, pretty winsome, but I, I trained them. They didn't know what discipling looked like. It's, it's so much more than mentoring and they didn't know that. And so I, I, I mentored them in, in this discipling uh, movement. And within a year, that group of six of us became a group of 12. And then the third year, that group of 12 became a group of, of 38. And then the fourth year, the women had started getting involved. And by the fourth year as pastor here, we had over 100 in what we called spiritual running partnerships. Um, they, they meet whenever is necessary for course of a year. They, they have a tool, a curriculum that they walk through that creates uh, kind of the transferable truth mentality. But ultimately, they do life together in these one-on-two, one-on-three groups, and that has transformed our church. But it took three or four years for the church to notice you know, three or four years into it, everybody, I started having wives coming up to me saying, I don't know what you're doing to my husband, but I want in. Who can disciple me? You know, and you started actually having requests about that. Um, our staff, uh, eventually, after about the third year, we had a complete changeover in our staff minus one guy. And it was everybody was a discipler, everybody on the staff. So the top down, inside out leadership of the church uh, loved, owned, saw ministry as discipling. And so that, that'd be the first thing I'd say is just to, in this scorecard of success, you got to recognize it takes, it's a grassroots thing and it takes a while for it to kind of get the traction of exponentiality. Um, but, you know, discipling guarantees that the, uh, the claim and the call of Christ to be a discipler goes deep into the heart of a believer. Maturity goes deep into the heart. And so it, it guarantees that. It also guarantees that the chain, the the chain of discipling will continue to move forward. And but that takes time. And so that that's number one. And no, number two, within that with this process of, of not only does it take time, and you need to set your goals there at a at a, a level of exponential, which means it starts slow. But but the the second point I'd make uh, as far as somebody looking into this ministry and looking to have this disciple shift with their people is is to acknowledge um that this this shift is the is the walk of faith it is it is a shift towards a ministry built upon trusting god for the increase because this this is one of my biggest problems with the program church the programmatic church and i know francis chan has pointed this out uh c.s lewis pointed this out francis schaefer pointed this out all these guys have a similar quote and they said if in the modern church, if you were to pull the Holy Spirit out of a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening kind of series of programs, it would take a while for us to even notice because we've we've set up everything to to be doable. You know, in, in the program mentality, since it's about getting people there and getting them through this material and, and, and getting them, you know, checking your attendance and then checking a few other little scorecards. But it's, it's mainly about attendance and information. Did we get the information across? Honestly, most of that can be done and programmed. If you get some talented people, they can do it. And you don't need the church to be the church. You just need these professionals to be good program directors. Um, in discipling, one of the things I've seen in my life and in these churches that I've been a part of that have made the shift is it creates this walk of faith. I, I can't change a person's life. And in discipling, 
that's exactly what I'm called to do. I'm called to come alongside of these guys and, and be a part, be a change agent. You know, I've been transformed to be a transformer and I can't do that. So what does that make me do? It makes me pray. It makes me drop to my knees. And, and I, I pray as, as often as I meet with these guys, I pray at least 50% more of that time for them to grow. And, and, and so the scorecard for my staff, the pastors on staff from the very beginning was, was I call, I'm calling you to do what the scriptures say, and that is to lead people in change and transformation. And they rightfully look at you with a, with a funny look and they say, we, we can't do that. I'm like, right. And so you need to be spirit led, spirit empowered. You need to be prayer empowered. And it is, it is something that really does create this walk of faith, but it's also something that God historically in 2000 years has blessed dramatically. He blesses this kind of one on two, one on one personal investment. And, and honestly, that's testimonies, right? That's testimonies. You, you hear somebody's testimony about their spiritual growth. They, they don't mention often preachers. They mention men or women who mark them, who, who poured into them, who, who touched them. They don't mention programs. They mention people. And so when we rethink our practices, um, we roll up our sleeves and jump in here in this person-to-person discipling uh, as the true role of the church, it, it calls people to faith. Um, but on the flip side, and this is, I guess, maybe a third point I'd give is to pastors who might be listening to this podcast, man, it has been so refreshing to me as a pastor to have that rhythm of trusting God to change my disciples as I walk with them through, through curriculum, as I, as I walk with them through accountability and, 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 and being with them as, as they walk with me and, I, and my accountability to them and this mutual accountability and mutual transparency. And I see the Holy Spirit's laboratory for their faith uh, to be transformed, for their life to be transformed. Man, it's such, it's so refreshing. And that's why I say I'd give up preaching before I give up discipling. It's because in discipling, I see fruit. I see God using me in providential ways where he's the only one who gets the glory for it. But, but man, I, I get to see his hand, his providence, his, his spirit-led, spirit-empowered, spirit-enabled transformative process in these people's lives. I get to see it one-on-one, one-on-two. And in a sermon, you know, you might see some people's faces engaged. You might hear some stories of how God used your sermon. But you, you don't get to see up close and personal fruit growing on the tree like you do in discipling. So so it, it is such a great, refreshing aspect of ministry. And it keeps kind of the last thing about that point is that it keeps your ego in check. It isn't about how many people I sat in chairs as a pastor. It's not how much cash came in through the, the offering. It's about life change. It's about the victory in Jesus's conquering of, of, a, of a person's life. And he conquered him. And now through disciple making, he's conquering their marriage perspective, their their tastes um, for for life. And they have a whole new set of cravings when when you disciple them. And it's just beautiful to watch that unfold. And so as a pastor, I highly encourage you to see this as the thing that you need to, to create longevity in your own ministry. How's that sound, Craig? I tell you what, I, as I was just listening to you, I was thinking, you know, th- this is really uh, brought a lot of joy in your life and in your church. I mean, think about, I, I've, I've had a, uh, the privilege of preaching at your church and being in your new facility. Uh, you guys relocated at another part of town. Uh, and just as we're recording this, this is following Easter Sunday. 
And uh, I just thought, you know, wow, wh- that has to be, uh, there has to be a sense of satisfaction and joy to know where the church was when you showed up eight years ago. And really the new life that has been brought to that congregation and to the individual people there that are really walking with God now and reproducing as a result of this ministry. Yeah, it's very, very satisfying. It's very glorifying to God because mm-hmm. in discipling, he gets the credit. One of the things we say as a mantra around here is only God, only God, only God could have orchestrated these mm-hmm. hundreds of relationships to be spiritual running partnerships. Only God could have created the hunger for a housewife who I'll just, I won't say her name, but in, when I first met her, she was at a wedding, pretty, pretty intoxicated to being now five years later to uh, the thing that she lives for, hungry for is disciple making. She's our, she's our primary uh, disciple maker in our church on our female side of our church. And only God could have done that. that. Chris Moody doesn't get credit for that. First Baptist Beaumont doesn't get credit for that. It doesn't fit on any annual church profile, but that is, that is the heartbeat of Christ mm-hmm. is uh, cr- reproducing reproducers. And this woman is a reproducer. And uh, anyway, it's just beautiful to watch that very satisfying, but very God glorifying. You, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't pat yourself on the back and say, kudos to me. And I don't know, for me, that's the life I want to live. And that's the antidote to a lot of the American uh, American messes that we've gotten ourselves into in, in uh, Christian America. Yeah, I, lo- I love that phrase, only God. And uh, having a front row seat to what to seeing God do what only he can do. Chris, thank you so much for being a leader and an example uh, of, of how to transition and lead a church to be a disciple-making church. And if you're here listening and uh, you say, man, I need more information about that. How do I really learn how to do this? I, I want to, I want this story to be my story. Uh, well, then go to disciplefirst.com, disciplefirst.com. It's your one-stop shop for training, equipping, resources, coaching to help you be a disciple-making leader in your church. And also go to the flashpointconference.com, flashpointconference.com to find a Flashpoint Conference coming near you where you can get alongside guys like Chris Moody and others that are actually putting this into practice and see models that are working and getting the teaching that you need there as well. So disciplefirst.com, Flashpoint conference.com. And until then, go make disciples.